0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to JU Israel's Teachers Lounge, whose name I think that is, where we keep you in touch with what's going on in Israel and hopefully give you some insight behind the headlines. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? I'm
1: doing well. I realize what we need to do now. Matt is on vacation. As soon as he gets back from vacation, I'm going to have him make you cards up so that you know what to say at the beginning of the
0: podcast. That would be so good. I mean, all you have to do is text it to me and I could just pull it up on my phone. Excuse me. We're going to make index cards. (laughs) Okay. There's no school like the old school. Uh, Today, we are thinking about all of our students who are going back to school. We're thinking about students who maybe you've been in university before and you're going back for another year, or maybe you've just come back from your gap year and you're heading into university for the first time. And we wanted to talk about what that means, what are the issues you're going to be dealing with, and hopefully give you some advice on how to deal with it. Before we start, somebody said, I I don't know where I came across this, somebody said, you shouldn't call it a gap year. It's a year on. It's so a year on, not a year off. Yeah. Oh, I know who it was. It was at uh, Shalom for Women. It was uh, 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 Rav Yamin. But it, but it, but it, but, it, but it was a good point. Why do, calling a gap year sounds like you're just filling empty time. But it's a growth year or a year on or. And for some, it's the most transformational year that they have. Could be you know, after high school. But let's talk about for those students who are heading to university either for the first time or not and talk about some of the issues that are facing them.
1: Okay, great. What is your
0: number one, Mike? Well, I think actually the number one issue, uh, I, I think that that uh, is, is not, e- even for a Jewish person who cares about Israel and wants to represent it well on campus, I think identity issues are the things that come up more frequently than Israel issues. And it, it relates to the Israel issue tangentially because... There's this issue of what is your ethnic background, and what right do you have to talk on different topics, um, and what right do you have as a non-minority to opine on different subjects? I think that's a key issue that you, that we don't give a heads up because our course is really about understanding Israel, but I think that's a very alive issue on campuses today.
1: Mm, that, would you say that is the?
0: I mean, it just comes up so much in what I read. You know, first of all, we we once. If you look back through our catalog, you'll see a back episode where the first time MTVA students came to talk with us about what was going on on campus. And that was the issue they dealt with the most. They dealt with it in the form of, are Jews white? And as people with white privilege, do you have the right to address issues that relate to minority topics? And we discussed that issue then from the perspective of, well, Jews aren't really white. Uh, that's, that's the angle that we discussed it at that time.
1: Right. And, uh, and uh, We, certainly, and we still, certainly talk about that in class a bit this whole white, non-white thing. But actually, now I'm thinking about it, it, it that's not even a discussion because that's a misunderstanding completely of the whole issue because it's how you – and we, we've talked about this often and we talk about it often in class. It, it's not whether you're white or not white or this or that. It's how you understand what is a Jew and the sense that what most – those students, if I remember, were struggling with was that people basically were looking at, well, you guys are a religion. So what, why do you, you know, either why do you need a country or I don't understand this or what is it? And what we talk of course often about is that, no, religion is part of our national culture, but Jewish is a is a nationality, is, a, is what one called before Am Yisrael was translated as a people today we, you know, Nash and whatever those words, and So I think even the whole discussion of white, not white is not even –
0: it's not even the frame. It's the wrong framing. Correct. I think it's the wrong framing. I think we're an ethno-national group like French people or Italian people, and I think that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. And what does that mean for running Italy or France is an interesting political question. But that's what the question of running Israel is for Jews. But I also think that the whole issue and this is something that Chloe writes about a lot, you know, uh, she tweets about and she speaks Chloe about Valdry. Chloe Valdery, who works for Jerusalem U, one mm-hmm. of our spokespeople, she often talks about that this whole idea of the validity of your ideas being based on your skin color or ethnicity is so is such a, uh, is such a critical thinking flaw, that who you are, that what you say will be affected by who you are. Now let meaning, meaning, me just to sharpen a little bit, your identity. Yeah.
1: Your identity gives you legitimacy or illegitimacy or not. But on the other hand, those outside of you are the ones who are, who also get to define what your identity is often, right? So there's this
0: <laughs> there's this kind of paradox going on. Right. You're telling me I'm white and therefore my opinion is of limited value. I don't see myself as white, while white people in North America were Oppressing African Americans and murdering uh, natives and in Europe, they were setting up colonies all over the world and oppressing brown people. My grandparents were running away from Cossacks
1: right. or hunkering down in the, the Stettlach away from the pogroms right? right right in the little in the little towns and they were are certainly seen in Europe as other, even after emancipation. That, that, that's what really brings out the Zionism, that even emancipa- after emancipation, Jews are still seen as other, not accepted in the general
0: culture and ethno-national definition. And, and America presents, therefore, a double honey trap because it says ethno-nationalism doesn't matter. You're American, which is part of the idea, arguably, of America, which we talked about previously. And then the other part of it is you Jews have taken full advantage of whiteness and are as white and use white with privilege like all the other Europeans who came here.
1: Which is certainly true of my, our generation of Jews, our grandparents and then our parents. Um, but the pushback you also see within the Jewish world a little bit is not, because Sfardim who came much later, right? When I was growing up, I didn't know any Sfardim. And now in Philadelphia is full of Sfardim and Israelis who who are not part of that, that definition. And, of course, you have... Other groups of Jews that came uh, certainly to Israel later, but um, that that we i mean I think we did we did take advantage
0: of uh, that acceptance uh, well the barriers fell much more readily as they did we we sort of ended up in a similar situation to the Italian or Irish immigrants who faced uh, you know racism and and uh, Discrimination when they arrive, but eventually assimil- assimilated enough that they retained their cultural heritage. But which is something that African Americans haven't done as successfully, because or Asian Americans or yeah. look, it's all complicated. Because but of I skin color because of skin color or, or features, you know. And that, you look different works. from the outside. You don't blend visually. But I think I think it, it, so. It's complicated on two levels. One is the level of. Defining what a Jew is, is very difficult, especially since most American Jews do think of themselves essentially as white people of a particular religion, whereas Zionism sees Jews as an ethno-national group, as Jews have historically seen themselves. That's problem number one. And problem number two is the issue that I keep seeing Chloe raising, which is, how are you possibly letting you determine that somebody's identity is X, and therefore how you listen to what they're saying is going to be based on that, instead of the ideas themselves? she's sort of, she feels that this whole, uh, you know, identity politics issue is undermining our political dialogue. You should absolutely listen to people from their particular perspectives and you, you, you should appreciate their perspective and give them your perspective, which will be different based on your experiences. But we don't, you know invalidate people because they have a different perspective because they come from a different place I, I think she's very articulate on that issue
1: so that you say so that's our the big sort of overall like you would say the, the the surrounding environment that our students are walking into in college
0: yeah i think I think we focus directly on the not the Israel is bigger than a micro issue obviously it's a big complicated issue, but I think the meta issue that that's above all the Israel conversations is the identity politics issue. And the fact that Israel is a place that's still seen as white people ruling brown people, even though that makes no sense, uh, you know, those sort of Western definitions don't really apply here. And, of course, since uh, still the majority of, of Jews in who are citizens in Israel
1: are from the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, know, so, you know, and I had Tamimi no, 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 who talking about those of us born, you know, like our children who came. I'm talking about those who came.
0: No, no, Israel. literally the majority of Israeli citizens— Are Jews from Arab lands, or descendants of Jews from Arab lands. So they are from this area. (laughs) Right. Right. So it it gets very confusing. And, of course, you have Palestinians who are white-skinned as well. Uh, Tamimi, who's now a spokesperson. So so, so these sort of identity politics create a more complicated uh, uh, matrix that you have to discuss Israel in. And you're not always self-aware that you're navigating that minefield when you talk about Israel on campus. So I don't I don't have anything smart to say about how to make that easier, but I do think it's something that you have to keep in mind that that identity politics issue is absolutely a frame, and the other framing issue I think before you even get to the Israel frame is the frame of power versus uh, powerless, that the people in power are abusing it, and the people without power are victims, and that is another framing narrative that will. Oh, I for more. That there is an absolutely
1: binary idea here, that there is a power and a powerlessness, right? right? And and that powerlessness trumps into the the oppressor and the victim. But it's never so binary. Uh, And certainly when you come into the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's not so binary of the power and powerlessness. I'm not going to say that Israel isn't powerful. Obviously, Israel is powerful. No, no, Israel is powerful, and and the the Palestinians are weak. Right. Y- yes. To, but also, but but also, but, but that indicates that 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 there that, that only one side can make decisions, and that's why I'm trying to.
0: That's the corollary. That's un- okay. un- un- unhelpful. You know that there's nothing to say. That there's nothing. There's nothing the Palestinians have to do to improve the situation. It's all the responsibility of the people in power. Look, you have this criticism of. You see this in popular culture. Well, I, I, before I get to like, for instance, you have all these films like, uh, you know, look look at how you know from Lincoln to to LBJ. Look at how they've worked to help African Americans achieve more civil rights in the United States. And you have all this focus in popular culture on things that white people did, and you're having this this movement now of you you have to also hear. And this relates to the previous topic. What about hearing African American voices and seeing their perspectives? on the things they did to achieve civil rights. And you've seen films over the last few years, whether it's about Martin Luther King or even Jackie Robinson. And there's this attempt to say, you know, I think that was one of the criticisms of the movie, the help that there's this, this constant image of the the good white people who help African-Americans is, is undercutting. It's creating a comforting narrative for white people. Oh, you're one of the good white people without acknowledging that there were a lot of African-Americans who worked very hard also.
1: I mean I guess I was what I was trying to get at a little bit is more this that that yes there's there's some people have more and there's a, there's less power, but that doesn't indicate there's an all powerful and all powerless um that that binary And that exactly what like you're saying that there there are, there are two peoples at work here, and both have their things to do and uh, it's more like um you know w- how you use the power that you have. Um, knowing clearly, yes, that there's a dynamic is 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 different, and that Israel is a state that already gives a recognized state in the world. Already, with all of our, you know, comments about the UN, that gives us a certain amount of advantage and power over this. But that doesn't make it absolute. And that's sort of, I think, this absolutist idea of power and power, is an absolute power, absolute, absolute no power.
0: Well, I think the way I would the way I would frame it is, I think there, it, it, I do think you have the powerful and the and the weaker. But I think you both have agency, Correct. and when you, when you ignore the agency of the weaker, you are doing them a disservice. And whether they're doing things like Martin Luther King and they're lifting themselves out uh, and, 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 and fixing the problem with their agency, or you're dealing with things like Yasser Arafat, who, who basically sunk the possibility of...
1: I would say even now. I mean, Abbas – again, I'm not – I could tell them how to do their politics. But by basically saying, "Okay, we're boycotting the United States because we don't like what they did with Israel and all that, that's their their prerogative. But that's how they're using their agency. That's That's their political decision. They're making political decisions. And it's the same thing with the political decisions, I think. I, I'm going to make an analogy. You can shoot me down if you think I'm off target here. Well, I'll shoot you down anyway, even if you're right. But excellent. I'm looking forward. to it Makes t- a better podcast. Exactly. But the um, municipal elections for Jerusalem are coming in October, which is a big thing. Jerusalem is the biggest city in Israel. It's the most. It's the most powerful. It is the center. It's where everybody looks. So the the you know what happens in the city of Jerusalem is very very important. Um, Palestinian residents of Jerusalem, whether they have citizenship or not, but the residents of Jerusalem have the right to vote in municipal elections. Traditionally, they have chose not to exercise that right, not to use their agency. As a political protest, as not as, because they don't want to see it as legitimizing, um, you know, though that using those rights will legitimize the Israel's control over, over the Arab sides of Jerusalem. So they choose not to do that, but then they have much less services. Uh, you go to East Jerusalem and there's no doubt they get much less services. They get much more resources. They, it's more crowded. All those things, less, more kids in a classroom from every media you want to say. Now, you know, part of that is exactly that, is the way that politics works. If you want to use your power, if you want to use the power that you have, the agency you have, you have, you, you have to vote. So choosing not to do that is ch- making a very direct choice for their the power that they have and the agency they have. Um and I and I think it's the same same way here. So it's not it's not that there's no it's not that it's powerless, it's that you know, you make choices like
0: everybody else in their life. So I, I actually do. I was joking before, but I actually do disagree with you. I think, awesome. to me, I think that the that the boycotting of Israeli governance and and and, and rejecting even citizenship and not even using the uh, residence permanent residence status that they can for municipal elections, I think that's a form of political protest that I I think could be effective and powerful if it was combined with an overall broader political nonviolent uh, resistance. In other words, if the resistance were exclusively nonviolent and and, and, and that and, and it was sharpened and, and well run and coordinated and exploited, I think it would have huge impact. And I think if they had been doing that for the last forty years, fifty years, they would have a state. Yeah, they would have a state. So, so in other words, I think that ma- that in and of itself, I think that what you're describing is a failure because it's not combined with anything in a, to make it an effective tool. It just ends up being self-destructive and unhelpful. But I think that's exactly the kind of tool that could be used effectively, whether that one in particular or any, I, I don't know. I'm not a Palestinian. I don't, I, don't, I don't claim to be able to give good advice for how Palestinians should. But I, but I do see that their agency fails them in achieving their goals consistently and I do think that uh, certainly in the 21st century, in, in 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 if they see Israel as their oppressor, then violence will not will not work. It, it erodes their moral high ground, and it's a tactical failure time and again. And that they need a focused nonviolent leadership. They need they need. I, I thought. Um, I mean, again, from so my so can I jump in a bit before you go, jump more, away,
1: because yeah. I think this is the uh, another issue that I think is is bubbling here that. Is very likely to see that. They, I, I think you are seeing it more on campuses, and I think you will see it more and more if we're talking about you know back to school, which is the
0: one state. So, solution. On. so we had identity, agency, and now the one state solution.
1: One democratic state for two for everybody. What you know? What what's wrong? You know that that's the way it should be. Like a little mini America here. That's something you see very much as you see because many Palestinians, certainly younger Palestinians, millennials, as we'll say. Exactly, have come to the conclusion you said. The the tactics of violence have not worked. Our our you know our grandparents, it didn't work in '48. Our parents didn't work in this in the intifadas. Give us citizenship. Give us citizenship. We want equality. We want to live in a democratic, citizen state, just like everybody. Uh, just like uh, just like the Israeli citizens, and and uh, and it'll be a bi-national state.
0: Um, which now has a new spokesman in President Abbas's son.
1: Right. The new spokesman who – that's what he is uh, – that's what he's pushing for. That's what he says. Exactly that. That's the narrative. And um, and under that, under that, the second line to that or the subcategory of that is, and demographically we're at least equal. That will make us equal demographically. And then we'll, they will really will get rid of any kind of Jewish nature of the state. And I, and that is the context, part of the context with this nation-state law that came up that we haven't really talked about um, in the past.
0: Um, well, we did. Last week when we talked about we tried to unpack Samach a little. Last week's topic was the nation-state. And we did relate to this issue of ethno-nationalism as – which is often projected today, especially on college campuses, as an inherent negative. And the, this movement that you're describing of the binational single-state solution – um, which is being embraced By the way, not only by a growing number of young Palestinians Did we
1: discuss it last week? Did we discuss it last week? I don't remember
0: Dude, you're not that much older than me What is happening? That I'm was. A
1: lot older. I'm a lot older I'm 50, how old are you? 52, I'll be 53 though soon in oh.
0: You are big I am I sure am. <laughs> okay, so I'll buy you a cake. But that is what we talked about last week, and I recommend it. I thought it was a very good discussion, a very good episode. No, I
1: meant about the bi, bi-national state.
0: No, no, we didn't discuss bi-national state.
1: Ah, uh, uh, that's what I meant. We didn't uh, discuss this aspect of it, the bi-national. I mean, but
0: the, bi- the bi-national single state says ethno-nationalism is irrelevant. People of all ethnicities and religions should be able to live together in peace and harmony like they do in America. As if America, that's A, working beautifully with no... Problem, and B, like every other nation on earth, works that way. When in fact, America is the exception, not the rule. So, and in America, it doesn't work great. And maybe it should work. I I think it should work better in America because America is at least in theory based on that idea.
1: I mean, not to get into America too much, but that's I mean, that's part of the discussion of what's happening on American campuses. And in America, Bichlal, is this is this clash between those who do see
0: America as an ethno-national? Uh, country and those who don't. It is at the heart of what of of the sides of the debate going on in America right now. Uh, and America is a country committed to the idea. You know, no, no other country is a giant statue greeting teeming shores of wretched refuse, saying, "Bring them here," because we're based on the idea of democracy, not on ethno nationalism. So uh, Israel, I think, is normal and is facing this and this this move that you're describing by young Palestinians, which I, I assume is going to grow we've talked about it before uh and gain currency in universities around the world why can't israel be like america uh yeah i think that that is going to start to 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 percolate more and the nation state law is seen as a as an assault on that idea and i think that actually rightfully so like i don't think that's a good idea no zionist does although there is a growing number in the israeli left who are saying well zionism worked we got a jewish state and now we should have a binational state right
1: and by the way, this binational state idea, I've, I've seen it in some of my students, mm-hmm. even in, in the gap year, when we've had this discussion of, well, you have to give up on either the Jewishness of the Jewish state, democracy, or part of the land, right? That triangle of – You
0: can't have all three.
1: can't have all three. There is – I wouldn't say a significant number, but there are definitely voices, voices you've heard of. Well, maybe we should be – Giving up on the, the Jewishness and go for the democratic and the land. And we have one big, between the river and sea, binational state. I, you hear that more even among Jewish students who in, in the gap here. So I, and and I, I imagine it's not so uncommon in your leftist uh, Jewish circles.
0: So what are we calling it? <laughs> Our three issues are identity, agency, and nationality. National identity? Uh, binationalism. Identity, agency, and binationalism. These, we think, are the three big topics that you're going to be— Or or at least interesting to look out for. Yeah. Look, day in, day out, I don't think people wrestle necessarily. I think wrestling is probably the wrong word. But when they come up, these are things to be aware of. These are two contextual issues uh, and one sort of growing political perception that I think are going to change the way we talk about Israel as we continue to change.
1: Right. And this is, of course, always within the context of those of those things that hit the the, you know, the spotlight more, such as rockets coming over from Gaza or uh, or, you know, Palestinians uh, being killed by, um, you know, by Sahel or, you know, I think those news terrorist attacks or, you know, those those news stories will always will will continue.
0: And they will fit into those issues one way or the other, and and that's something to look out for. I would say when looking at news stories, my three rules are, this is also good for being on campus, wait and see. Those stories end up being, if there's some negative story about how horrible Israel is. A, wait and see if it's a true story because things get misreported easily and later get corrected. B, is it properly contextualized? In other words, if there's a story about Israel bombing Gaza, did it accurately describe what was coming out of gaza that caused the israeli strike and then three if something bad happens and things do happen um what does that say about israel so you take a story like the soldier who killed the dis- the unarmed the the disarmed terrorist in chevron went to jail and so the story it tells about israel and recently he applied for a gun licenses he got out but did not get it <laughs> yeah So what does that story tell about Israel and Israeli society? You can't take that story out of context. And there's something that – that's a bad thing that happened. And in the end of the day, what does that story tell us about Israel? It's a society based on the rule of law imperfectly. And when bad people do bad things, I think it's disturbing how much support he had in Israel. That also tells you something in Israel. So that's a cause of concern. you
1: You can't avoid the polls that had the majority of people thinking he should not be. Uh, a prosecutor yeah,
0: that tells you something about israel that's that's not great but we have to be open-eyed clear and honest i mean not great from your judgment right that's from my perspective you may agree with them and then i guess that is a good thing but yeah. but what i'm saying is whatever your political opinion is uh those are my three steps is it true let's see is it contextualized let's see and if it's true and in proper context what does it tell us about israel fairly which is, I guess, another context thing, but I'm cheating a little bit. But th- those are my three rules. Now, very often, I'm going to switch. Do you have, yeah, I'm going to uh, go to what you read this summer, Mike. Oh, so, I, so I want to, the, the last topic is when going to university, and we get this from students quite often. What do I read? I think this summer there was uh, a very important work that I really can't stress enough. I think everyone should read and have it with them and recommend to people to read about Israel, and that is Yossi Klein-Halevi's Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. And I think it not only for the content, which I think is obviously excellent, but because um, of the, the the method. His method of saying, I hear you, I hear the truth of what you are saying. Now I want you to hear the truth of what I'm saying, and it's unashamed, absolutely forthright statement of who I am. I also have a perspective, and you should hear that too. It's not only your voice that matters. I hear your voice. Now it's time for you to hear my voice, and and and, and in a respectful, really, I, I think the word is menschlich way. Follow that book, read it, follow it as as. As Yossi Kleinelevi begins to enter real dialogues with actual people over it, look for the interviews that he gives. Not only, again, not only as content, but as a methodology, as a model of how we discuss these difficult issues in an honest, forthright, proud, and menschlich way. I think he's, I, I cannot stress enough how important a work I think that is, as a model for Jews to talk about these issues. Um, uh, the interesting thing also about that book is that I, I he's um,
1: been translated into Arabic online and open sourced yeah it's free online for arabs and he's getting responses because exactly that because he what he wants is is to create a dialogue it wasn't just it wasn't just like a a a neat way to sell a book it was actually
0: the the intent was to open dialogue it's not a writer's conceit of here if i write it this way it'll be clever it's honestly i want to have a real conversation here's how you have real i acknowledge i hear He's a writer, so that's how he wants to he,
1: – he's doing the conversation. I think it's, a, it's brilliant.
0: We all have so much to learn from that book, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Again, is it a thorough history book? We can also recommend other history books if you want to learn history more. But he deals with the essential salient issues from a Jew's perspective who is empathetic and, and open to hearing other perspectives.
1: Awesome. So I'm actually going to go. You know that I'm uh, I'm going to go the outside the Israel books, and the book that I'm reading now, as you know, is The Perfect Weapon by David Sanger, which is about basically the development of cyber war <laughs> in the last in the 21st century. Um, it's a brilliant book. The beginning of it, I was a little bit less brought into. It was kind of like, you know, obviously it had those parts, um, you know, stu- Stuxnet which was the U.S. and Israeli attack on Iranian nukes by cyber, has its place in the book. And that was kind of the first part of the book talked about those kinds of cyber um, attacks that were that, that were created by governments and others. Um, and the second part of the book, and now towards the end, really talks about the informational war, about how cyber has been um, – uh, the, the sorry, the Internet has been really um, – uh, under a, an attack, really, you can say, right? That the the assumption from the beginning was, oh, the Internet's going to be the great equalizer and being democracy throughout the world. And the Arab Spring was one of those, like, oh, see, because they were using that was for for all kinds of purposes. And it's now, towards the, the end of the second uh, decade of the 21st century, becoming clear that as much as it can be a force for democracy and, and, and equality, it can also be a force for um, inequality and, and control oppression. and oppression, um, particularly through misinformation. And I kind of feel like Israel is the canary in the coal mine always. We're always the canary. In the coal mine. And here too we are, because you see how the internet has, u- was u- has been used to delegitimize de- Israel through, you know, um, and also Jews. Also, Jews, as we know, the Jews in the last uh, you know, few years, especially during the election time, were attacked relentlessly online um, and trolled and all of those things. And it really brings into perspective the, the, that perspective. Um, Of how it fits in the wider world, and I think that we can learn a lot back to Israel and the Palestinian um, conflict, and how it's being used. Cyber is being used
0: in that conflict. I'm a little bit tired of people talking about the internet as being the battleground of the future, because what do you mean the future?
1: It's not. It's the battleground. It's happening right now, exactly as we as we um, uh, as we're talking. And not to go into all the details of the book, some of it, you will know David Sanger has been – it's more or less his research as a New York Times reporter for this stuff over the last uh, decade or so. Uh, My warning is uh, we have to give trigger warnings or one of those things. The trigger warning is I'm feeling like I really need to go off the grid completely. (laughs) As you know, I've said before I'm off Facebook, but now I'm like, once you read this book, trigger warning, it will really make you – Think uh, a million times about what is ha- like how we are be- you are being manipulated as an individual how we're being manipulated as communities and 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 countries and governments. Um, so, but I think it's a really important book that, that one should read because it is how we live. It's our life. I mean, we live on these phones. We live on on the internet.
0: Well, well, you know, and if we clu- decide to unplug uh, to whatever degree we decide to unplug. Is less important than have we thought about how, right? I mean, in other words, how we yeah, yeah, yeah. how we address these issues is less important than that we do address these issues in our okay. lives because we're not self aware of how it is no, that's exactly uh, transforming us right. in many wonderful ways and many problematic ways.
1: That, that's really it. That the knowledge of 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 how it's being used by people who are intentionally using it to to harm us, um, whether that be as uh, you know, as consumers, or or as members of a certain group, or as a certain country, um, and again, it's it's all sides. I mean, there's nobody. There are no there are no tzadikim here. Um, I wouldn't claim that Israel's a tzadikim or America or, uh, or or any others. But again, it's how. It's being aware of how you're doing Now, of course, there are differences Just like I believe there are differences when we go to war There's differences between, you know In World War II, there was differences between the Axis and the Allies Allies did many of the things the Axis did too That were human rights abuses and things like that But there's essential, fundamental differences I do believe that in our societies But we do have to be aware that, that, that a lot of our governments are doing things That we may not be so comfortable with
0: That's true. And it's also a funny thing that Western forces have this, because we're technologically advanced, we come up with a technological cutting edge and employ it without considering that it's been proven time and again, whether you're talking about nuclear warfare or cyber warfare or drone warfare, that it's coming back. And, you know, just because you innovated it and that gives you an edge, that doesn't mean tomorrow they're not coming back with it at you. And so, you know, that type of, of larger strategic thinking, I think, is an important. I haven't read. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, yeah. but uh, my son-in-law is going to lend it to me. Yeah. But uh, where I learn many, many wise things. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so I think that type of broad thinking. I, I think in general, what we're advocating, if I had to pick a theme of this episode, it's context and broader thinking, and that helps you understand those micro issues. We have a tendency to get caught in the micro, and take a step back and take a look at what's going on around. And of course. Uh, m- we hope most, but we we see that many of our listeners are our students and uh, you should always feel free to contact us on our website juisrael.jerusalemu.org. right and another card
1: another index card
0: yeah well oh i think I think it 's going to be on our uh, business cards yeah um, so that 's helpful, but always stay in touch and 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 some of you do and that 's great and um, I assume others of you have questions, and then you go, oh, maybe I'll ask, and then you forget. But contact us on, on the on the site, on, on our Facebook page, on our private message us. And even if you don't, you can, you can join our Facebook page and ask us and interact. We'd love to. We've sometimes had conversations by non-students even on the Facebook page, and I think those have been very gratifying and helpful, I hope. Um, this is what we think about all the time. This is what we do, and this is what we're here for. So hopefully... All you back-to-schoolers or even those of you who aren't going back to school but are just thinking about how to talk about these issues in general, hopefully this is helpful. I think it might be. I don't know. Let us know.
1: I want to wish you good luck tomorrow night, Mike. You, you, Michael's setting off our, our
0: new teaching year at Harova tomorrow night, first class. Got the jitters? I do not have the jitters. I love <coughs> teaching at Harova. I love that group. So tomorrow it will be like the full – it will be like 70 students. And then as the year goes, it will – i'll get like a core group of people who are just fascinated so tomorrow i'm a little i don't have jitters but talking to a room of 70 people is hard but as a as they're sort of trying things out especially especially in a cellar yeah it's not a great room but it it works but 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 it's going to drop off to the 40 girls who really the 40 students who really want to study this and it's just one of the highlights of my week
1: awesome amazing i have the jitters i'll have the jitters for you i always get the jitters
0: yeah, I only do jitters for new things. Old things I don't get jitters, but you you're you're better at that than me because you have you always manage to have fresh jitters and I think it jitters lead to better performance. So I don't know why I don't have it. Maybe I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. All right. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also Come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us and you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much.